0: honor to God. We thank the Lord for each and every one of you. For those that are in the studio audience, we thank the Lord for your presence here with us. For those that are watching via technology, we definitely celebrate the Lord with you. We thank the Lord for you. Uh, I know that there are viewers across the United States as well as across the world. And I just salute you to our churches in Africa. We thank the Lord for each and every one of you. Pastor Majero. Bishop of Goa, we celebrate the Lord with you. We're continuing to work with you and to pray with you about the expansion of God's work, even where you are. We're looking forward to great testimony and witness of the power of God being manifest in and through the ministries there. And we're just excited about the testimonies we have received thus far and know that God has greater things yet in store for us, and we just thank the Lord for that. Today, I just want to, uh, talking to the Lord, trying to uh, determine what it is or which way I would come at you today uh, to share with you what God has laid on my heart. God gave me the title of a sermon called Man and the Two Trees, and when I kind of felt this in my spirit I begin to wonder where it is because God typically will at least with me give me a a title or an idea or some type of foundation upon which he's getting ready ready to reveal um, fully what it is he wants me to say but he always starts with a, a topic of discussion and when I was listening to the Lord in prayer and he showed me man and the two trees, I was wondering where in the world we were going to go. But today I want to talk to you about a man and two trees. Now, much to my dislike, we have a lot of trees on our property, a lot more than I would like, not you know as much as my wife would like. I don't really like trees that much, at least around me, because I relate trees to an increase in work. They create an increase in work for me, especially during the fall season. But my my wife loves them, and and she wants us to even plant more trees. Now, what in the world am I supposed to do with that? You know, they have a a saying, happy wife, happy life. That's a story for another day. Now I will admit that the trees are quite beautiful, especially now as they're preparing themselves for the winter season, which really seems, if you've been paying attention to the weather patterns, like it's really on a fast track for an appearance. But when looking at the trees recently, I was reminded about two very famous trees and God began to show me something amazing about those trees in correlation to his creation, man. And I want to take a few moments of your day today to share with you what God showed me. You see, God's eternal plan is revealed to us throughout the entirety of the 66 books that comprise what we call the Bible today. At the very beginning of scriptures, we can see God creating man as the center or the crown of the entirety of his creation and giving man a purpose of expressing God himself through man to his creation. We are the carriers of God's glory. As a matter of fact, you ought to put that in the comment section. I'm a carrier of God's glory. Now, when you begin to see this, You'll understand that it opens up our mind, it brings revelation of what God's intention is concerning man. And that intention is that man should express God as the center of his whole universe. And this is the very purpose for which we were all given life and it is the very purpose that the enemy has distorted within us, causing us to express something other than God And in most cases, that expression is an expression of self rather than God in and through creation. So God took me to his word. And he shared with me a foundation upon which I will build the context of today's lesson for your hearing before I get to the word, which should be revealed to you, it should be scrolling across your screens even now, I want to give you a thought as you're reading it that you can think about. And that thought is man, in the sense mankind, in, it, in uh, the creation um, story, so to speak, is neutral, between two trees. Man is neutral between two trees. So anyone that knows me knows that my favorite book in the Bible is the book of Genesis, and this is where we're going to get our foundational text from. And in that book, we are told about the beginning of all things, including two trees. Those trees are the tree of life, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Genesis, the second chapter and the ninth verse. In order for us to understand God's plan in scripture, we must be thoroughly clear about what these two specific trees are and what they represent. These are the the two most important trees you will ever experience in life the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. You see, after God created man, he placed him in the garden where these two trees grew. Both of these two trees and man's whole life and walk are pictured as a matter of feasting upon one tree or the other. So God instructs man to be very careful about partaking of these two trees. And if man dealt with these two trees in the proper way, mankind would have life. Otherwise, he would have death. It's a matter of life and death. How man would live and walk after his creation depended entirely upon how man dealt with these two specific trees. As a matter of fact, God said, you can eat of all the trees, but don't eat of this one because of what it will do to you. These two trees determine man's destiny. Now, God instructed man clearly if he partook of the second tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he would have death. But if he partook of the first tree, The tree of life he would have life now that alone should be uh, causing your spiritual mind to burst forth in great anticipation of what i'm getting ready to release into your spirit in the black church so to speak in our cultural expression of god this is where we would have a praise break so what do these two trees really signify well According to Revelation, the whole scripture being revealed to us, the tree of life signifies God himself in Christ as our life. The tree of life stands as a symbol of the life of God in Christ. The Old Testament and the New Testament present the Lord Jesus many times as either a tree or a branch of a tree. The Lord has the special title of the shoot in uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Zechariah. and Many trees are also used in the scriptures specifically to signify that Christ is our portion and our enjoyment. So, for instance, let me give you an example. The Lord Jesus in the second chapter of Song and Songs is likened to an apple tree. Where it says, as the apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved among the sons. In his shade, I delighted and sat down. So reading scripture, we can see that we have the ability to sit under him as our shade, under his covering shadow and enjoy all his riches, which is the fruit of the tree. I'll give you another example of Christ as a tree as detailed in John the 15th chapter. I am the vine, you are the branches. And as we can discern from scripture, this is the tree we should desire to be under. This is the tree that we should desire to partake of. But what about that other tree? What's the significance of the second tree? That tree of the knowledge of good, and evil. Well, I'm gonna shake up some of your religion today. This tree represents nothing else other than Satan, the source of death. You see, the second tree brings death because it is the very source of death itself. The first tree is the source of life, and the second tree is the source of death. The whole universe. Only uh, God himself is the, whole, is, is the source of, of all life. And in the whole universe, only Satan is the source of death. Now, a verse that details this, it depicts this, that God himself is a very source of life is Psalm 36 and 9, which says, with you is the fountain of life. And let me prove to you in scripture that Satan is the source of death. You can find this in Hebrews, the second chapter and the 14th verse, which says him who has the might of death. You see, the might of death is in the hand of Satan. Now we also see later in scripture that Jesus engages Satan after the death of Jesus to retrieve what? The keys of life and death from him. So from the very beginning of time, these two trees represent two sources. One is the source of life, and the other is the source of death. I told you I'm gonna shake your religiosity today. I'm gonna shake up some doctrine today. Now in the beginning, there were three principal parties. These parties are God, man, and Satan. Man, in essence, in the beginning is innocent. He's created by God and God created him neutral to life and death. Man was originally created by God neutral to life and death. Since it was possible for man to have either life or death, man was standing on neutral ground in the middle Between the two trees But God was standing on the ground of life And Satan was standing on the ground of death Man was created neutral to God And neutral to Satan It was God's intention For this neutral innocent man To take God into himself That God and man, man and God Could be mingled together and be one Man would then contain God as uh, his life and express God as his everything. Created man as the center of the universe would then fulfill the very purpose of which God created him, fully expressing the visage of God into and over all things. But there was another possibility. There was another way man could go. Man would be or could be induced to take part of the second tree, that tree that's the source of death. And as a consequence, man would then be mingled with that second tree or mingled together with death rather than being mingled together with life. My prayer for you today who are listening is that our eyes might be open to see that in the whole universe, it is not a matter of your ethics. It's not a matter of you doing good. It is only a matter of either receiving God as life or Satan as death. You see, what we have uh, before done uh It's been given a choice. We have a choice that lays before us, life or death. Choose life, the Bible tells us. You ought to make that declaration in the comment section on Facebook as you're listening. I choose life. Now, some of you listening might want to write that, but that's not actually what you're declaring in your living. Your living is a declaration that you have actually chosen death and while God is gracious and merciful to you, he's giving you an opportunity today to make another choice. But we we have to understand that we really need deliverance. Now, I know some of you are thinking deliverance from all kinds of things and not what I'm getting ready to say. But what we really need deliverance from in truth is we need to be delivered from having an ethical or moral understanding. You see, it's never a matter of doing good or evil. It's always a matter of receiving God as life or Satan as death. It's important that we clearly see that these three principles introduced at the forefront of God's word, man, God, and Satan. God standing on one side is the source of life as represented by the tree of life and Satan standing on the other side is the source of death as represented by the tree of knowledge and Adam, the representative of man standing in the middle on neutral ground with two receiving hands. He can either take God at his right hand or Satan at his left hand. You can either take God or you can take Satan. Now we understand that man was corrupted by the tree of death. So spoiler alert, as we know, Adam was induced to take the second source, which is the tree of knowledge into himself. Now, this was not a matter of merely doing something wrong. Oftentimes, the introduction to the fall of man through the action of Adam is connected or or correlated to uh, Adam disobeying God, and we get the concept or the idea that it was just his disobedience which brought about destruction, but that's not really That's a symptom. It's not the root cause. It's much more serious than just transgressing God's law and God's regulation. And this is why many of us are still struggling today. You see, the significance of Adam taking the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil was that he received into himself Satan. You see, Adam did not take a branch of that tree. He took the fruit of the tree. Now there's one very powerful thing about fruits and fruits contain seeds. And the seed that is within a fruit has the power to reproduce that same fruit after its own kind. The fruit contains the reproducing power of the life it represents and every seed will reproduce after its own kind. For example when the fruit of a peach tree is planted on the earth you'll find another little peach tree will sprout up in proximity to the first peach tree because the seeds from the peach they hit the ground go into the ground and form after themselves. Adam was essentially the earth. So when he took the fruit of the tree of knowledge into himself as the earth, he received Satan who then grew in him. Now this is not a small matter. Not many Christians have uh, fully grasped the depth of the fall of Adam you see the fruit of Satan was sown in Adam as a seed in the soil so Satan grew in Adam and became a part of Adam and reproduced after his kind in Adam Adam now becomes the visage or the expression of the very tree that he chose. And that tree was the tree that ends in death. So then Adam becomes the expression of death. When you choose anything other than God, you choose death and then you become the expression of death. Now I want to show you uh, into what part of Adam Satan was received. It's important that we understand this because Satan not only came into Adam when he fell in the garden, but Satan still remained in the human race. But where he is located is important. Where in the human race As I've been showing you in all these sermons over the last few months, we are a tripartite being. That's a being made up of three parts, spirit, soul, and body. Now, I want you to visualize this picture in your mind, spirit, soul, and body. And when Adam took the fruit of the tree, he takes it into what part of his being? What part does that seed get planted? I'll give you a minute to think. All of you scholars out there, of course it came into his body because he ate it. Now, this is logical and it makes reasonable sense. We need scriptural ground to confirm though that something of Satan is in our body. So let's take a look at the book of Romans. The seventh chapter and the 23rd verse. And I want you to recognize something here that maybe you saw differently. And a lot of what we see is based upon what we read or how we perceive what we're reading, which is why I've been urging the people of God to look at scripture in its original context and in its original form so we can gather a better understanding rather than just relying upon the translation that is our favorite. But let's take a look at Romans 7 and 23. It says, I see a different law in my members warring against the law of my mind. Now the phrase, another law, which is used in the uh, King James Version or the King James Translation is not really a good translation. It should be, I see a different law. It's not a law of the same category. It's a law of a different category. Now, you may have three laws of the same category. For example, in the Ohio Revised Code, there's a law that deals with assaulting another person. But there are several laws that are related to that one law for which you could be charged. Depending on the relationship, depending uh, between the victim and the suspect, depending upon uh, the, the gravity of injury, depending on whether death becomes the end result. But when we look at the Greek in the original writing here, it's not talking about laws of the same or lesser degree. It's referring to a law of a contrasting category. I see a different law in my members. The members are the part of the body warring against the law of my mind and making me a captive to the law of sin which is in my members, that is the parts of the body. So what is the law of sin? Well, Paul said, it is no longer I, but sin that dwells in me, Romans 7 and 20. And it is no longer I, but Christ who dwells or lives in me, Galatians 2 and 20. So here we have the contrast that's being referred to in Romans 7 between no longer I, but sin, and no longer I, but Christ. Christ is the embodiment of God. That's life. But sin is the embodiment of the devil, which is death. So the word sin in Romans 7 is really being personified. It's like a person for sin can dwell in us and force us to do things against our will. It's even stronger than we are. Romans 6 and 14 says, sin shall not have dominion over you. So uh, let's translate this a little bit better. Sin will not lord over you or sin will not be lord over you. Sin has the ability to lord itself over you. So sin must be something with power. And that's the devil. So through the fall, Satan comes into man as sin and is ruling and damaging and corrupting and mastering man. But in what part? Sin, Satan, is in the members of man's body. When we look at uh, Romans further, you'll find that it tells you, yield not your members as what? Instruments of unrighteousness but yield them as instruments of righteousness. This is not yielding them as uh, under the control or the lordship of Satan, but rather uh, use them and yield them as instruments under the lordship and the rule of the Lord, which is life. You see, man's body as originally created by God was something very good. But it has now become flesh. It was originally created good, but it became flesh. Now the body was pure since it was created good. But when the body was corrupted by Satan, it becomes flesh. Paul said, in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth what? No good thing. By the fall, Satan comes and he dwells, takes a residence in the body of man, causing our body to become flesh that is a damaged and ruined body. Now, I'm going to share something with you that God revealed with me. It really blew my mind. It it really blew my mind when I begin to think about what God was opening my my mind to see and my spirit to receive, there was a reason and necessity that God had to come in the form of man, Jesus. There's a reason and a purpose for which many of us Miss, we, we 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 don't comprehend it, we don't understand it. We we recognize that Jesus is God in the flesh, we accept that, but we don't really understand the context between it or or, or the, the importance of why He did it this way. But I'm getting ready to open your mind to it right now. You see, the book of Romans uses two terms: the body of sin in Romans 6 and 6 and the body of this death in Romans 7 and 24 now the body is called the body of sin because why? sin is in the body The body simply became the residence of sin, which is the embodiment or the uh, reflection of the devil. So what then is the body of death? Well, the body of death is the source and might of sin who is the devil, which results in death. So sin is the embodiment of Satan and death is the issue or the effect of Satan. Satan cannot bring life, he can only bring death. So this corrupted, transmuted body is called the body of sin and the body of this death because this body became the very residence of the devil. Now both sin and death are related to Satan. And the body of sin means that the body is sinful, corrupted, it's enslaved by sin. And the body of this death means that the body is weakened and full of death rather than being full of life. So the body is something satanic and devilish because Satan dwells in this body. Have you ever wondered to yourself or thought to yourself this question? Why is it that my flesh cannot be saved? The Bible tells us your flesh is not going to be saved. You ever wonder to yourself why that is? Uh, here I am. I, I've given my life over to Christ. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, born again. I'm made new. I'm refreshed in the Lord Jesus. Yet my body requires a change. My, my physical makeup, my flesh Requires the corruptible, requires the incorruption, the mortal requires the immortality. Why, after accepting Jesus, is this necessary? Let me blow your mind with something even when you know Jesus in your flesh, the devil still dwells. Now, I know there's people right now, the the legalistic preachers, and there's all kinds of preachers out there that's, you know, shaking their heads right now, pointing their finger at me. What are you talking about? The devil ain't in me. That's why you are so mistaken. That's why you still struggle with stuff. Because the devil dwells in your body. You cannot ask After coming to the knowledge of Jesus, if all you would do is yield your members as instruments of righteousness and there was no possibility that you could yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness, then the devil can't be in you. But if you have the ability to to, uh, yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness, then there has to be a power for which you are yielding them to and that power has to be present in you to be yielded to and where that power is is important to understand because we have uh, been uh, hoodwinked and bamboozled to think that because I've accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, somehow the devil is not in me. I know this is frustrating, folks. Stay with me. But Satan dwells in the body. All the lusts are in this corrupted body, which is called the flesh. Now, the word reveals that the lust is the lust of what? The flesh, Galatians 5 and 16. The flesh is the corrupted body full of lust and indwelt... By Satan, So now you can see that the fall of man was not just a matter of man violating something against God, but of man receiving Satan into his body. So Satan, from the time of the fall, dwells in man. And this is what happened when man partook of the second tree. Now, since Satan and man became one, Through the second tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Satan is no longer outside of man, uh, but Satan is in man. So the prince of the power of the air, Satan himself is operating in the disobedient people in the earth, operating in Ephesians two and two, so Satan was joyful, boasting that he had succeeded in taking over man; that he had succeeded in man expressing his visage rather than expressing God's visage. So God said, "I got something for you," because originally God and the devil were outside of man. Because of the fall, God was outside of man and the devil had uh, entered into man because man received him and now God is still outside of man and he seemed to say this, well, I see what you've done. I will also become incarnate. So if Satan wrought himself into man, God said, let me enter man and put man upon myself. Now, I know that this seems a little bit complicated. Uh, This is a very complex situation, but God put man upon himself. So, so, So Satan being in him through incarnation. Now watch this. When God became incarnate as man, the kind of man he put on was a man corrupted by Satan. I know, hold on, hold hold your horses. Stop throwing stuff at me. Hold your horses, stay with me. When God was incarnate as man, the kind of man he put on was, was a man corrupted by saying, oh, but uh, he was without sin. Slow your horses. I got you. I got you. Let, let, Let me open your mind to something you've been robbed of all this time so you can really fully understand what happened on the cross at Calvary and live free. You see, man at the time of his incarnation was no longer a pure man, but a man ruined and corrupted by Satan. If you don't believe me, let's look at the scripture. I always tell people, validate what you say by the word of God. So let's go to Romans the 8th chapter and the 3rd verse. And this is what it says. God sending his own son. What? In the likeness of the flesh, What's the flesh? The flesh is now the house of sin. The sin is, or the flesh is sinful. So if we look at the King James Version, but the flesh of sin is really a better translation. So when the Lord Jesus incarnated himself in flesh, he was in the likeness of the flesh of sin. This is what he embodied. He was not sinful, but he had to come in the likeness of what our struggle was. So there was no sin within him, but there was the likeness of the flesh of sin upon him. So sin was was within the corrupted man, but there was no sin within the Lord Jesus. I see you putting your rocks back down. Thank you very much, Holy Ghost. So there was only the likeness of the flesh of sin. Now, the Old Testament illustrates this in the type of uh, the bronze serpent on the pole. That serpent made of bronze was uh, a type of Christ in John 3 and 14. So when Christ was on the cross, he was uh, a, a man in the likeness of the serpent. Now, the serpent is Satan, the devil, the enemy of God. But when Christ was incarnated As a man, he had even the likeness of the sinful flesh, which is the likeness of Satan. So it can be uh, difficult for anyone really to understand this correctly. And and so I don't fault you for having a, a misguided understanding of what really took place. But as God was showing me this, uh, even I, as I was reading the scripture, uh, you know, God, uh, the, God wrote and, and took me to, I was struggling a bit because of all the stuff that I had learned. But it is really quite complicated. But I have to repeat myself so that I'll be clear about it. Man was made pure, but one day Satan came into man to possess him. Satan was joyful, thinking that he had succeeded in taking over man. Then God put upon himself the very man with which Satan had entered. That's the man that Jesus represented. Now, To be released from something through Christ, Christ had to be the something that needed to be released. So man is released from the tree of death. After God became a man and put that man with Satan within himself upon himself, he brought that man to the cross. I cannot kill what's not a part of me. Let me say it again for you. God could not deal with what Satan did if God did not take Satan within himself. So he brought Satan to the cross because he was the likeness in flesh and that flesh was crucified. So Satan thought he, you know, had succeeded, that he won. But he only gave the Lord an easy way to put him to death. Let me give you an example. I know maybe I'm not making this clear for you. So let me me just give you this example. I was watching this YouTube video. And this YouTube video that I was watching um, was showing me how or, or the best way to catch a mouse. Now, there was a time when, much to my wife and I's, you know, disgust, in our previous home, we found out that we had a, bunch, we had a mouse problem. And we were trying to figure out ways to catch the mouse, you know, catch the, the, the mice, mouse, singular, mice, plural. And we devised a plan to catch them, And ultimately, it resulted in a whole lot of remediation and another company coming in. But I learned something from that experience because if a mouse is loose in a house, it can be rather difficult to catch. But if you set a trap with a little bit of bait, the mouse will be tempted to catch the bait. Now, the mouse at first will think that it has succeeded in getting the bait, but will realize that it has become trapped and it's too late to escape. And since the mouse is trapped, it is now easy for the owner of the house to put the mouse to death. Now, I want you to begin to visualize that as we're talking about uh, what happened between God and, and, and the devil. Similarly, as we look at Adam, Adam became a trap to catch Satan. You see, Satan is the naughty, naughty mouse running loose in your house. And when Satan came to possess man He thought that he was successful Because he got the bait But did not realize that actually He fell into a trap Satan thought that man was going to be his home But did not understand that man Was actually a trap He thought that man was his food But man was only the bait By taking man he was caught and imprisoned in man. Now, because he was stuck in man, you know, like stuck on band-aids because band-aids stuck on me. I know I'm giving you my age now. But we find that he's stuck inside of man. So the Lord came and put man upon himself. Watch this. To bring man to the cross. The whole purpose Of Jesus coming Was to put on himself What he trapped So that he could take what he trapped To the cross So that through death He might destroy him Who was the very might Of death itself You ought to read Hebrews 2 and 14 And make a plain for it Man was the trap And the devil was trapped within him You see, through incarnation, God put the corrupted man upon himself and brought this man to death on the cross. And at the same time, Satan within fallen man is put to death also. So it is by this death on the cross that Christ destroys the devil. And this is why Satan is afraid of the cross. This is why the Lord told us to take up the cross. You see, the cross is the only weapon for us to overcome Satan. Matter of fact, you ought to put in Facebook, in the Facebook comment section, I was a trap for the devil. Now make sure you type that correctly. Sometimes I see some of the stuff you're typing and I'm like, that's not exactly what I said. So don't, but don't get this one wrong. No typos on this one, please. So where is Satan? Satan is in us, in our flesh. But where is our flesh now? Well, let's look at Galatians 5 and 24. They who are of Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh. Watch this. With its passions and its lusts. So our flesh, with Satan in it, is on the cross. So Satan is put to death on the cross. Praise the Lord. Praise, break, moment, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. But here's the question we have to ask ourselves. Is this the end? No. It's not the end. Because what happens after death? Burial follows death. But even the grave is not the end because after the burial, there's the resurrection. So Israel goes into the Red Sea with Pharaoh and uh, his mighty army, but they were resurrected from the death water without Pharaoh and his army. So Pharaoh and his army are buried in death by being drowned in the water, but Christ brought uh, Israel out Christ brings man with Satan, brings man out with Satan being left in death or in the grave. And we're brought out of the grave, out of death. You see, he leaves Satan buried in the grave. Now, what I'm describing to you is man resurrected. Man is resurrected and becomes one with Christ. This is the necessity or the reason for which our resurrection must come. We are resurrected by the tree of life. There is a necessity that must take place where the body of this death has to put on incorruption and immortality. So let me ask you this. when, uh, When were you regenerated? What year were you regenerated? Well, whatever year you come up with, that year is too late you were regenerated through the resurrection of Christ. If you don't believe me, look at 1 Peter 1 and 3. You see, when Christ was resurrected, we too, those who believe in him, are also resurrected. So, Ephesians 2 and 5 Uh, And six say this God uh, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up together with Him. When? At the time of Christ's resurrection, we also were resurrected with Him. We must be impressed. You see, man was ruined by Satan when Satan came into man. But God, through the incarnation of Christ, put this man with Satan. Uh, In him upon himself Brought that man to the cross Put that man including Satan to death And then buried that man in the grave And then brought that man into the power of resurrection And through this resurrection Man with God became one You see by incarnation God came into man And by resurrection man with God become one so now God is in man's spirit. We, we should be joyful about this, but don't get too excited. And this is why. We always have to bear our cross. The Bible says take up the cross how often? Daily. Did you ever wonder Why? If deliverance has come and we've been freed from the power of, of sin over our life, why then must we take up the cross daily? What is the cross? What did I just tell you the cross is? The cross is the representation of the death of sin in your life, of him who is the representation of sin. So whenever our flesh is away from the cross, we will find that Satan alive again in us and we have to say hallelujah because the Lord Jesus is in our spirit but we must also be on the alert for we are still in the flesh so when the flesh gets off the cross the devil will be alive again Now, we even talk about this in our common vernacular today when we say things like, let me hang up my salvation and deal with you. What we're saying in essence is, let me get off the cross so that I can deal with you as the visage of the devil. This is why I always tell you, you need to stop saying stupid stuff like that. This is why we must live in the spirit all the time And apply the cross to the flesh daily You see through Satan by the fall He gets into man and he was uh, dealt with by the Lord And now by the resurrection the Lord is within us And from now on our responsibility Our business, our purpose Is not to try to do anything good Good will only deceive and blind us we must simply follow the Lord in the Spirit and apply the cross to the flesh. This will spontaneously put Satan to death. Now, you, learn, you need to learn to practice this one thing with these two aspects. Follow the Lord in the Spirit and put the flesh, including Satan, to death on the cross. A matter of fact, you ought to make this declaration on Facebook today. Follow Jesus crucify the flesh daily. Follow Jesus, crucify the flesh daily. You ought to make it personal. I will follow Jesus. I will crucify the flesh daily. You see, what will be the ultimate issue is simply this. On one hand, there will be the new Jerusalem and on the other, The lake of fire the new jerusalem is the representation of the triunity of god mingled together with the resurrected man and the lake of fire is satan's ultimate place of destruction now the lake of fire is the place for satan it's also the place for all of those who follow after him It is not the place for the resurrected man. All that is uh, not related to the triunity of God and the resurrected man will find themselves in the lake of fire with Satan. There will be only one tree left in the uh, new Jerusalem and that is the tree of life. The other tree will be in the lake of fire. And this is the ultimate conclusion of all of scripture. The scriptures begin with three principles And two trees, but the ultimate consummation will be the new Jerusalem with only the first tree at the center of the city and the resurrected man as the expression of the triunity of God. The second tree will be cast into the lake of fire. All things and all people related to the second tree will have the same destiny as the devil in the lake of fire Hallelujah, Hallelujah. let me just close this for today I know I've thrown a lot at you but the meaning the purpose behind this picture for us today is that the normal Christian life does not consist of going around and doing good The normal Christian life is simply taking Christ and living by Christ and putting the flesh with Satan to death all the time. It's to follow Christ in our spirit and to put our flesh to death. Then the day will come when the triunity of God and the resurrected man will become one and the same expression the new Jerusalem with the tree of life as its center. This is the ultimate desire of the Lord. This is what God has done. You see, God didn't just come into man to save man, but God came into man to defeat the devil. But what lies before you is a choice which tree will you eat the fruit of will it be the tree of life or will you too choose the tree of knowledge of good and evil which will ultimately be your demise my prayer is that after hearing this and meditating upon it and thinking about it, being challenged by the word of God, that you will analyze your life. You will take a look at yourself and you will ask yourself hard questions. From what tree am I eating? And if your diet is wrong, change it. While you still have time, and begin to choose life over death. God bless each and every one of you. May this word today be life in you. Have an awesome Sunday.